Can't buy you class, a podcast about reality television through a critical lens. My name is Phoebe, and this is Gemma. Um, hello, we have that. We actually we have a pretty pretty crazy episode today. We're gonna talk about the Kardashian teaser. We're gonna talk about the new Housewives tell all, not all diamonds and rosé. Yes, happy new year. Um, thanks for those who have stuck with us through 2021. Here's to here's to more and more for 2022. And as the Kardashians showed us, 2022 promises to be the Hulu year of rebrand and excitement. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be a crazy year. Um yeah, I mean. So I guess we'll start with talking about the, the Kardashians. Yeah. So they released the trailer for their new show on Hulu. Uh, the show is going to be called The Kardashians. They released and, it on, Christmas, on New Year's Eve. Right. They released on New Year's Eve. Um, it's only 15 seconds long. It's very minimalist. It's in all like gray, white, and beige. So that goes on with what we were, we've been mm-hmm. talking about for a while with the, with the minimalism, with the beige of the Kardashians. Um, and all they say is happy new year. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it is Chris, Courtney, Chloe, Kim, Kylie, and Kendall. It's all of them. It's all the sisters, no men. Um, and Courtney looks pissed off. <laughs> she looks so angry. She so like has angry. her stink face on. Like it looks like she's smelling something stinky. Why is she still stinky? Isn't she like in love? What the fuck? I think she just like, I think she hates her family. Unfortunately, yeah. she yeah. just hates them. She can't stand them. Right. I was really interested to talk about the fact that kind of the time aspect of it um you know it was released on new year's eve it's no longer keeping up with the kardashians it is just the kardashians which you know might imply that we're not keeping we're just with them in the current in a current space or something like that but the new year kind of feeling you know, there's like, you know, New Year's resolutions, like New Year, New Me. There felt like this real, like, it felt like very intentional that they released it on the eve of this new year as like something to look forward to, but also as like their signal of their own rebrand and their own kind of resolutions and change as like a brand and uh, TV show. 
Right. Because it's not like they released it on Christmas or a holiday. Right. You know, but even though we are celebrating the new year and I, and so in a way they're kind of like marking themselves as part of the calendar itself, you know, it's like this pat, like past religion, but it's more about the integration of like time and religion. Yeah. Because I always am reminded of how Catholic they are. Yeah. They're super religious and on their Instagrams, which is the only way we've been able to keep up with them in between network. Uh, on their Instagram stories, they are po- they post a lot about their family group chat where they just like post or they just send each other like proverbs. Yeah. Proverbs. And they love you know, they're really big fans of Christmas. They always do, you know, their, their other big media attention this, this holiday season was their Christmas Eve party, which it was like debated whether or not Pete Davidson's mom was there. Um, and, you know, Kim was dressed in her Balenciaga suit through the fingers, through the toes. Um, so I feel like they always kind of send us signals of what they're doing and like what's going on with them around the holiday time. Yeah, I think something else that surprised me about the rebrand is that like when you name a show The Kardashians, um, it reminds me of like, well, I've never seen that show, but it's called like The Gorgias or whatever. The Borgias. Yeah, and it's about a family led by uh, a patriarch in their family from Spain in Renaissance era Italy. Anyway, that's what like the Kardashians reminds me of because it's almost like this royal family, yeah. right? Who are like taking over uh, COVID era Los Angeles, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of post-Renaissance Italy. Um, for some reason, it has this almost like archaic quality to it. And also, like, the clothes they were wearing, the clothes are still very, like, early 2000s, even though they're monochrome. Mm -hmm. But it's still just, like, the clear heel and the stiletto and the very feminine bodycon, even Mm -hmm. though it's neutral. I think they have to remain. I don't think, even though this is Kim's, like, public persona, like, I don't, like, the, the, like, high fashion couture thing, like, I don't think that's actually what draws people to watching the Kardashians. Like, that's a separate experience of being entertained by them is their kind of, like, daily life on Instagram. But I think the show does need to maintain a little bit of that, like, girlish femme, you know, going out and running around LA energy that the show originally had. And I think that's a good point that you brought that out because it's also like very rhinestone-y it's but it's definitely been produced to look more you know more high more like I mean I don't know if more high budget but Hulu had to make a change production wise and aesthetic wise to set themselves apart from the e-show and that's what I'm curious about the content because maybe it's all going to be aesthetically different like maybe it's just all going to feel different because I don't know how I wonder how they're going to change the content if it's how it's going to be because, you know, keeping up the Kardashians was just following them around. So what is the Kardashians about? Well, I mean, remember how the D'Amelio show, it had like a point to it. You know what I mean? It was more like it was like filmed like a documentary. And even the new Peacock shows in a way are filmed like documentaries. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think it's going to have like a political point 
Yeah. Um, or like a cultural point. It's not just mm-hmm. going to be like a cultural thing to exist passively. Um, I think it's a lot of it's going to be about Cam passing the baby bar. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is going to be about Courtney and Travis Barker. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's probably just going to focus on like the professional aspects of their life. Yeah, and I have a feeling we're going to deal a lot more with Kendall and her anxiety. Because I think mm-hmm. that that's something that she focuses on a lot. And it's something that's still very like, something that people are talking about I think it's gonna like if she's on it I think it's gonna be about success even though she has anxiety and I was I was also just thinking about um like in season one the opening credits remember it was like in front of that they had pulled down the curtain and it was in front of their house so it was like very much so located in a place but this one as we've talked about again for months and months and months it's just like you see like in this 15 second trailer you see close-up images of their feet mm-hmm. like walking towards something and it it could be a stage it, mm-hmm. it's just like this gray blob you know it's like in the middle of it's it's like a nowhere place yeah they're not in a place and then it uh when it does show their faces it's just them against a gray background so yeah you do get this idea of it's not located anywhere mm-hmm. it's like only located in the in the shape of them and their instant recognizability in their faces and their silhouettes and they're not even together yeah it's separate images of them that are all compounded yes yes and so what phoebe's saying when we've talked about it for months and months so sometime ago in september um, yeah. we did a presentation for this conference called Composium, um, which was an academic conference about all things Kardashian, um, by Brunel university. Uh, and it was really a cool experience, but what we really focused on was the kind of reading these themes of infinity into the aesthetics and the kind of brand marketing of the Kardashians. And one thing that I got really interested in was the, you know, the show, the e-show at the, towards the end, the last couple of seasons, you know, they, their interview, their confessional scenes were filmed in front of these kind of like blobby kind of opaque mauve pinkish blurry spaces. And that was very, they were not locatable and they seemed to kind of be in this kind of like void space or this kind of like behind them, you could reach all the way to infinity, you know? And I think that, yes, Phoebe, I think you bringing up the fact that the the images are, they're not in one room together. They're spliced and the background is again, it's not pink though. It's like a gray. So there's maybe something more professional about it or more. um, Yeah. It was very like robotic. It was very yeah. like lawyer's brunch. Right, right. And, and they're all kind of dressed kind of businessy. And, you know, I wonder if that split screen too, like, you know, it does make me think about Zoom, you know, mm-hmm. like, like a digital gathering, you know? Yeah, I think it's also just like, I guess an issue in the show that's both acknowledged and not acknowledged was that the family, they're not cohesive anymore. Right, that's what I was just thinking. Right, none of them live together. So I think that maybe what Hulu is going to do is it's going to create a narrative that instead of about the Kardashians, 
it's going to be about each individual Kardashian and kind of like following them around. It's almost going to operate like a real housewife show. Yes. I think you're totally right about that. And actually, now that I think of it, recently the the Real Housewives promo images are the same splice screen. Yes. Where it's their individual faces. You yeah, know, you're right. they're all indiv- they're not just like in the same room. And like the the even the opening credits for Housewives have always been separate mm-hmm. people with separate taglines, and then they just Photoshop it together for when yeah. everyone has like the group shot. Um, so I think that that's um that's part of an interesting cinematic world thing. And wait, I think I also, speaking of this, because we keep talking about the cinematic world, I think I sent you something on. You did. Twitter. It was. Uh, and then oh, I sent you something on Twitter. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. Well, right, right. Both about the same person. Just being of cinematic universe, it seems as if um, Whitney Wilde Rose and Emily in Paris wore the same dress. Oh, I'm obsessed. And then it also turns out that one of um, um, Whitney Wilde Rose's friends was at the January 6th riots. That is too good. She was the one who was in the first season being like, I have this map for my maids so their feet don't hurt. Oh, that was that girl who stumbled into the party being like, happy birthday to the wrong person. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah, it was her. Um, anyway, but yeah, Cinematic Universe, Kardashians. Well, so the cinematic universe thing is making me think about this like idea of like links and connections and locations, right? Like, I feel like what we're interested in about the Kardashians and this kind of trend that we're kind of talking about, I feel like what we're interested in is like the further dislocation of individuals and sense of place, right? Mm-hmm. Like, especially with the pan dookie. <laughs> the- <laughs> the pan- the pandemic, um, the importance of where you are has mattered in some ways a lot and in some ways very little, right? Because you can now work from wherever your home is kind of this like multi-dimensional space. Um, but on reality TV, you know, we talked a lot about in our presentation or we've, we've talked about in our podcast, the kind of like that there's this desire to be somewhere else. You know, they're always like Chris Jenner was squinting in Malibu and saying like, this could be the Amalfi coast. Right. So there's this, like, there is a really, in, there is a lot of dislocation happening. And I'm wondering about how we can think about that in terms of like the cinematic universe, which is seemingly like a bunch of really dislocated parts that are all connected with these like very weird little through lines. TMZ reported that Kanye West went on a date with Julia Fox and Julia Fox has been going off on her Instagram about her like deadbeat baby daddy. And then right after that, the week after that, she went on a date with Kanye West in Miami. And then it turns out that she had been on a date with Pete Davidson. It feels very present right now that like everything is like vaguely connected. I think that maybe the most interesting thing about, because you've always had musicians and actresses date you know um like that's always been a thing and like you even have I mean Julia Fox is like a model too right always had like like it doesn't surprise me that Julia Fox is part of that what surprises me is how the Kardashians have been so elevated that they're part of the web like that's the I think that that's the surprising thing where it's not just like the creative elites 
you yeah. know, or not, not even elites, just like the, like, like creative superstars, like actors, comedians, musicians, is that the reality television uh, characters or whoever, they're now, they're now involved in that scene. So I think it really renders it like, like, I don't know, like, it's hard to say exactly what that scene is defined by, I guess it's just like money and certain yeah. types of taste or whatever but um yeah no that's it's like a weird I think it's like a weird thing to see to see going on because like never like you would never you would have never seen that before like 2020 2021 right and even like I mean even the um I mean even Julia Fox says like because she's with because she's on a date with Kanye, you somehow want to think of her like Kim, you know, even that feels interesting, kind of weird. Cause like Kim seems like such a like celebrity celebrity that you're, that you don't see out in public. Like you just interact with, you know, on these like media platforms, where, like Julia Fox is like so much a part of this kind of like cool New York, you know, model actress scene. You know, Almost intelligentsia in- as well. Like she's, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like in that uh the um Uncut Gems. Yeah, sorry. I like I when I get on this podcast, I literally forget my own name. Like I don't know anything. But yeah, on Uncut Gems, like that was like uh it's like art house, you know. Right, what exactly. I mean? That's what I mean. Yeah. And uh the weekend was in it. And but then you also had that was it's actually maybe that's even an interesting thing because there's that whole thing about um Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems because mm-hmm. the Safdie brothers were like no like he's actually a really good actor he's not just like a dumbass like right in all these ridiculous shows but you know Adam Sandler also started on SNL yeah right? the the more pepper you know that's always <laughs> like my dad's favorite SNL skit so you have like Adam Sandler who's in the sh- in Uncut Gems with Julia Fox who then is now a I guess Pete Davidson went on a date with Pete Davidson with the SNL. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all the tropes, I feel like the tropes remain the same, right? But I just have one more thing to say about Julia Fox because even what she, you know, she has that horrible baby daddy or whatever. And, but, but the way that she's like, she's like telling this narrative of him on Instagram live, which yeah. was very like reality television to me. Yeah, it was. Like she just had a few days where she like would not stop. She like, went off she went off like literally off <laughs> so but I don't know it was like it, it was like fun to I mean not I felt bad for her but it was also fun to watch yeah she want. I mean she's really watchable she really has like a watchable energy about her um the way she she's talks deeply charismatic well she's yeah. kind of she kind of reminds me of um Dina from seasons one and two yes. of Real Hoffers of New Jersey yes who's like completely drop dead gorgeous like this blonde bombshell looks like she just walked out of like a Hitchcock movie right then she starts to talk and she is like the most Long Island New Jersey yeah way of speaking and emoting and it's so funny because it's like never something you'd expect exactly you know there's a charm in that right right exactly right and you can't look away because you're like oh my god she's like my name is Dina and I'm from New Jersey and I really like to eat pasta with my daughter and my bubbies. <laughs> I have big bubbies. And you're like, what? You look like Greta Garbo. 
And the other thing I wanted to talk about, the teaser is named The Countdown Begins. And the text on the screen says, when the countdown to the new year ends, the countdown to the new show begins. So like, you know, Phoebe has, I've always loved this thing Phoebe talks about with like the kind of keeping up with the Kardashians is like a taunt. It's like, you better keep up. You know, it's like making us adhere to a kind of Kardashian time. And this is so interesting to me because the countdown is obviously again, we're keeping up. We have to adhere. And you, like you said, they're inserting themselves into like a natural countdown that everyone does every year. But then the name of the show is no longer keeping up. So like, what is like, maybe we can think through like what that is saying about like how we are watching TV as a culture now. Like maybe we're no longer doing the kind of reality keeping up. We're kind of just like watching things as they are. You know, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, f- I think that I'll we'll have to, or for me at least, I'm going to, I want to watch the show and I want to see yeah. how time or like how, because, you know, play plays how time as a character plays a part. Because I think time yeah. as a character always has something to do with the show. But um, the, the first time that they, that I guess it was revealed that the Kardashians was coming out, was when Chloe was on Ellen DeGeneres. Yes. And Chloe was like, yeah, we're filming. We're actually filming right now. This is in October and it's going to come out in January, February. And Ellen was like, oh, that's fast. And Chloe was like, that's the beauty of Hulu. We have a quicker turnaround. Oh. But I think that that is like, I don't know. It's part of it. I think that there's that's more part of of it. condensing, right? And you see that even with the the minimalism, it's, 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 it's faster. Right. It's, Leaker. because as we saw it was not really that fun to watch the last two seasons of the kardashians because we knew everything that already happened yeah and, and like like we talked about in our episode a few episodes about with like sex in the city like you know network tv really has to like it has to like contend with like real world events like more and more and more and they have to like be able to to like either play off of it or ignore it, but they have to do it very skillfully so that you still want to watch, even though you know what's already happened. So that to me feels like their biggest hurdle to get over because that was really just like so obvious and not interesting at all. And I hope they have more reunions on Hulu too. Yeah, we'll see. I really thought, and I still do think, that the D'Amelio show was Hulu testing out if a family reality show would be successful on I their I think platform. you're totally right. And I think it was kind of like wetting our appetite, or you know what I mean, like an amuse-bouche of reality yeah. television family show. Because yeah. I, I really think that that's what the Kardashians is gonna be like now. Yeah. Right? Um, or again, I think it's gonna have a very direct motive. And I think it's going to be very clear that they're going to make, like, even if it's just a pseudo-intellectual argument, like, the D'Amelio show's, like, intellectual, pseudo-intellectual argument was, like, social media is bad for young brains. Right. Right. You know? Even though, but, but look at these girls persevere, right? It had a very classic, like, hero narrative to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the Kardashians is going to be similarly not as void-like as it usually is. I think you're very, very spot on. I think that the reason the D'Amelios didn't need a reunion 
was because there was such a narrative that was like, you're right. There was such a narrative that was being served. It wouldn't really serve the narrative to revisit the narrative because the reason we have reunions on housewives, which would be a great transition into the not all diamonds and rosé. The reason we have reunions on housewives is to propel the show forward and to like, get ready for the next season. Um, so with that, I will just introduce, so we read Not All Diamonds and Rosé by Dave Quinn. Um, shout out to Joanne for getting me this book for Christmas. Um, and Patty, shout and, out to our, shout out to two mothers in our lives who are not our mothers. Yes, shout out to two mothers in our lives who answered the call uh, and got us Not All Diamonds and Rosé by Dave Quinn. It's called The Inside Story of the Real Housewives from the real people who lived it. And it is very long. It's like 460 pages long. And it's basically a linear, kind of like oral history of the Real Housewives. It starts with Real Housewives of new of the OC, which was the first franchise. So it follows the release of the franchises throughout the years. So it starts with OC. And it basically interviews almost like a lot of pe- production, Andy Cohen and cast members around kind of specific, sometimes specific events that happened that were like very iconic to the show, like Teresa's table flip. And then also just kind of in general, sometimes like the workings of how the show was made and how people got fired. And it goes a lot into casting was something I noticed. There was a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of talk about casting because that's clearly like a hugely important part of the show. And um, the book title, I found this interesting, is based on one of Lisa Vanderpump's opening uh, lines. I think it's like, life is in all diamonds and rosé, but it should be, right? I, and it, at the back, it has like a um, tagline appendix. Up. But yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was a long, it was longer than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, very quick read. I think we both read in like three days. Yeah, two days. It took me two days. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was, it's extremely quick. It's very easy to read. It's very digestible. And it's actually quite, uh, it's quite interesting. And I think that at the end, Dave Quinn says that there are like 10,000 hours of interviews that he needed to transcribe, which is like insane. And this book, it was obviously a long time in the making because it doesn't include Salt Lake City, Mm -hmm. which has been on for, I guess, over, it's in season two already. So, um, and it was before, right. It was before this past season of Beverly Hills because they didn't talk about the Erica Girardi stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it was, but even though it was extremely digestible and easy to read it, and I, again, like we haven't seen all the franchises. I think Gemma's seen more than I have even like it, uh, it was really interesting. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And it, um, you know, I think that it 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 did that thing where it actually did pull back a lot of the curtains. Yeah. I think especially through this guy Dave Quinn interviewing a lot of the production. Yeah. Not just like because he interviewed like the CEO of Bravo, mm-hmm. and he also interviewed people down to like production assistants. Yeah. Right. Which I loved. Right, and like casting people, which I don't know, which is like. It was really, it was really interesting, especially in the OC chapter, which is the beginning to go through, I think it was probably 20 or 30 pages, just about the conceptualization and the formation of that show. 
yeah, it was, that is incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, it's kind of started, it started with this like guy who had an idea to make like a, like Curb Your Enthusiasm style show about this gated community um, in Orange County. And he made a pilot, didn't really work. Had a, they had a really hard time casting it and keeping people cast. And eventually Bravo bought it and it was kind of put on Andy Cohen's desk to make it a show. Yeah. Which is really- And it was just called The Real Housewives. Well, it wasn't even called The Real Housewives. It was going to be Behind the Gates was what it was going to be called. Oh, right. And then The Real Housewives of Orange County was floated by a genius producer, Lauren Zelazniak, I think. In the title, they were very intentionally referencing Desperate Housewives as well as the OC, which were two very popular soapy style, you know, television shows that were on at that time in 2006. At first, Andy Cohen was like, that name is way too clunky. Like that doesn't make any sense. And this woman, Lauren was like, we have to have a city attached to it because if we expand and do more franchises, it'll be really important. And everyone was like, yeah, right. We're not going to do more of the show. So that person was a true trend forecaster. (laughs) No, and they didn't even have a reunion until like the second season. Yeah. And that was the first time Andy really got his role sorted out. Yeah. Because he got to be on stage and it was like a whole different experience. What do you think was your like biggest takeaway? Like what did you find like most fascinating? I was extremely struck by the conversations with production within each franchise and how there were these subtle differences. Sometimes they were very similar the way that they produced because obviously it's one brand. Like Real Housewives of Atlanta is produced by Truly Original, which is different than who does Evolution, who does New York and Beverly Hills. Obviously these shows are about drama and conflict. And in New York and Atlanta, to me, it seemed, and like OC and New Jersey, especially New Jersey and OC in a way, the drama that they were having was very actual interpersonal organic drama because in New Jersey, you had families fighting and OC, you had like vying for like the star position of the show. But in Beverly Hills, I noticed that like Beverly Hills, like especially that season with the dog thing with like the Lisa Vanderpump dog thing. You have this sense when you're watching Beverly Hills that it's like, it's, it really feels not fake, but manufactured. It really feels like there's something that you're not getting all of the story on. And even like Erica's season, this season, like the Beverly Hills women get away with not really telling you what's going on ever. And I feel like that's because a lot of what's going on in that show behind the scenes is like, everyone's producing the show. Like they're all producing each other. Kyle's producing Lisa Rinna. You know, Lisa Vanderpump was producing everybody. Like it felt like there was just much more of like a, there was much, it was much more available to them to sort of like run the show in a way that I did not, that I always feel when I'm watching it and that I don't feel with like New York. Like New York, for example, like I feel like there's, there definitely was like producing moments, obviously like Bethany produced Luann's, Tom season a lot, but the vibe of like, I feel like the the conflict in New York feels very 
interpersonally related. Whereas Beverly Hills, it feels like the conflict is generated via this like media machine and like the story and like how they want to appear, which is ironically very LA, right? It's like all kind of fake. It's all kind of smoke and mirrors. Yeah, right. And it's also, I think that Beverly Hills also started like in the middle, like it's yeah. one of the middle franchises and it's like one of the middle chapters of the book. And I think something also really crazy to me was like the actual insanity of the OC and New Jersey. Yeah, like, exactly. You know what I mean? Like you literally had what was a Don Gunvalson or whatever, like fake cancer. Yeah, insane. And there's a whole season of the people on this show like trying to uncut like like actually like calling all of his fake doctors or whatever and getting to the bottom of like his cancer fake which is like a wild thing and like you would like not like you would want to distance yourself from that person like that's a crazy person and then on um you know we'd always I'd always thought that the craziest most horrific thing about New Jersey was that Teresa Judas went to jail the craziest thing is Danielle like was arrested for being for like for like kidnapping a kid and like being part of like the Colombian drug cartel and like post Bay of Pigs Cuban something and like conspiring to do all these like incredibly illegal and incredibly horrific things and then she got arrested um by like the CIA or whatever when she was a teenager Mm -hmm. And um, then she got, after she was released from jail, she got full face body reconstruction. Literally witness protection program vibes. (laughs) Right. And like, you start to realize that like, maybe New Jersey realizes that New Jersey is part of like witness protection programs. So people like know where she is and know what she's doing. So she can be like watched. I I don't know. It's, It's like, it's so crazy. And like, you end up actually siding with Teresa. Oh, for sure. You know, because Teresa's like, yeah, like, I just didn't read the papers that my husband was giving to me. And you're like, all right, like, you're dumb, but like, whatever. Like, you're, you're actually kind of a good person. And um, I can forgive you, right? Yes. But Danielle, you're like, you're psychotic. No, like, literally. I mean, I feel like in the earlier seasons, it was much easier to get, like, clinically insane people who didn't really know they were clinically insane on tv now i feel like you get clinically insane people are on tv and they know they're clinically insane and they're just doing it they're just like playing it up reading the cast interviews for certain franchises was like really interesting in this way of being like oh my god like it was really entertaining it was like watching the show because it was just back and forth conversation and like like new jersey was like that oc was like that the dc story is crazy Oh, right. And, not, and, and right. But the DC thing, if people don't know, like basically a cast member and her husband like snuck into the, what's it called? The the, sun- the inauguration dinner. Right. The inauguration dinner. Under, for Obama. Under Obama. For Obama. They snuck in and um, the cameras like, you know, the cameras can't go inside the White House and film, but the cameras film them like up, like getting past like three security checkpoints because, you know, it's like, the, like no one can get in if you're not on the list. Right. And then the the show is aired and like the, the apparently they weren't invited and they weren't on the list. So they just like the CIA, I think, like subpoenaed Bravo. 
the footage like you get the footage to figure out what happened and Andy Cohen was like yeah like you can't have a show once you've been subpoenaed like that's when it gets too serious but I think that that's like another that's like a case of like them trying to get clinically insane people and they do but then it actually doesn't work out because it's like they're too insane right because I think the thing about Danielle even is just like I feel like that was just just the tip of the iceberg with her like there's so much more there because she's not acting no, she's not acting. Whereas like Aviva Dresher was like, I was going to play the evil character. Right. Which is like, that's not, it's not fun. It's like, not no. And you can tell. People. Right. It's not fun to watch people pretend. I mean, it's fun to watch people like put on airs or pretend to be someone they're not for society, but it's mm-hmm. not fun to watch people like pretend to be someone for the, for the show. Yeah. You know, because Aviva, you're like, yeah, you're crazy. But like, that's all you got. All you got is that you're crazy. I feel like Heather Thompson came off like the worst. Yes. She came off so annoying. And I thought Sonia came off so well. (laughs) Sonia always comes off well, though. She's so great. Heather Thompson just thinks that she's like too good for the show. For some reason right now, there's been this huge resurgence on Twitter about Sonia's toaster oven. Maybe people on Twitter are like reading the book or something because there's a big part about Sonia's toaster oven. But everyone on Twitter now, every other tweet is like, if Sonia put out the toaster oven, it would like, it would sell out immediately. Like all I want is a toaster oven. I would buy it. But but that's the thing too about this, about like this book. I almost wish that he had had an appendix of like memes or like housewife, like lore. You know, it's kind of like, there is like a real like lore associated like, the the toaster oven that never was you know like the table flip like there are just these there are these just moments that make up this like history and they're all very like they're all very memeable also for Beverly Hills I loved reading about Taylor Armstrong season oh my god I gotta rewatch that it was it's so incredible I mean we've talked about Taylor Armstrong before because she always comes in when we talk about death because yeah. her her husband died on the show. Um, but yeah, no, the Taylor Armstrong thing is one of those instances where, and even in the book, they kind of like underline the point that there's some things which are too real mm-hmm. to, to, to show. So yeah. Taylor Armstrong is like a victim of domestic abuse and domestic mm-hmm. violence. And her husband would like beat her up like at mm-hmm. least once a week. Um, and then he would get really remorseful and he'd cry and he'd say, I'm scared. I'm going to kill you eventually. Yeah. Really, really horrible stuff. Like bad. Like really bad. And I think that this became clear at like the end of season one Mm -hmm. because Taylor told someone on the show, but then I think that the producers also. She told Camille. And then Camille is the one who revealed it. Yeah, Camille's on camera. On camera, but there is something about before that it was already people already knew. Like I think, yeah, Wendy Williams asked her about it. Yeah, I think that it was something that people knew about the producers. I don't know the producers. It seems like the producers once they knew about it, they're like, "Hey, we're not going to film this, obviously, but like if you, but like please just let us know. Like we will." buy you a hotel room you and your daughter yeah like we'll fund that like that that's just like if you need to get away like you just let us know and we're there for you like whatever you need and I think that Taylor was someone who was like I liked filming because it made me feel it made me feel safer yeah to know that the cameras were there and that we could rewatch it and there were people there yeah which I don't Ooh, it's just like but but right but like that's something that like once you know 
you're like, oh shit, like she's probably on the show to feel safer if people are there more. Right. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I mean, again, the early seasons have so much more ability to like bring serious, like drama to the table because they, they're not aware of the mechanism of the show yet. Like Camille was totally taken for a ride. (laughs) Like she thought she was doing one show and she was not. And like, that's how they basically created like three seasons of intrigue. But I think the one thing that I learned that the producers do is that when someone's like hesitant or reluctant to talk about something, they're just like, all right, fine. And they kind of let the person like in the interviews just talk about whatever they want. But then they're like, just keep going. Just keep talking. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because then after like two or three hours of talking, you'll get to a certain point where you can't hold up the mask anymore. So, you know, so that's also fascinating to me is that like, the little interview bites that we get, even though it's like, it's a very small amount of screen time. That's like after like a five hour conversation, like what we get is the product of the end of the day. It's not just like, like, it's never the beginning of the day. Ooh, that's great. Right. Cool. Yeah. I feel like the hardest things to talk about are the things that we both found very like profound and interesting. Welcome having like a very rough time, like talking about it. I mean, like, processing a lot of a lot of what it means to have a book which so obviously um talks about the form as something that we could already have predicted but at the same time is like totally fascinating because I think that at the end of the day a lot of what the book is is it's like it's like an extended reunion right yeah I think that the book form lets it because the book is obviously unfilmed I think the book form kind of like lets other people's voices or faces or, or beings into into a narrative of mostly happy nostalgia yeah right there's a lot of nostalgia in the book and there was there I don't know there was also a lot of um something that I took note of is I was thinking a lot about the creation of of character because a lot of especially in like um I guess Atlanta and Dallas uh, or Potomac mm-hmm. I think that a lot of they were a lot of those women are obsessed with like who they are on the show yeah or at least like to the producers and a lot of it was like you are only your character based on the conflict or like the audience only knows who you are once you have like a conflict and and a resolution yeah and I, that was really fascinating to me that like you go into the show knowing that you're going to have to not only just like be yourself, but you're going to have to prove that you're someone who can be a reality TV personality, but also someone that kind of fits into the cast of, um, of the, right. The cast of the, of the group of women that are there. Like you need to be able to seamlessly interject yourself, which has been making me think about the, about like Vanderpump rules even mm-hmm. right we keep like it's falling apart it's falling apart but then like you actually have these uh I think Charlie is a really good new addition She's great, yeah and Raquel is also really I, we don't need to talk about that but it's just like I've just been thinking about what makes a good new addition and I think it's someone who lays low the first season mm-hmm. and then the second season is then able to to become more of a seamless part of the group, which is, I think a lot of these women in the show, something that they noted was that like the people who only last for a season, they start off way too strong. Yeah. And then it just like, it implodes. I really didn't need to hear from, I mean, I liked hearing from the women, but it was much more interesting to me to hear from the production because what the women were saying 
was basically exactly what I thought was going on. I mean, the, the most interesting things that the women say, like Sonia had a few moments of this where they like really reveal that they really understand their cast member as like a friend. Like Sonia says something about Luann. She says, Luann is a great master of ceremonies. I was like, that's gorgeous. Like, yeah. like when, when they reveal that they really know each other, that's interesting. But when they're kind of just going through what happened in the season, you're like, yeah, like we know what happened. The scary island section, nothing more was revealed. Like we, we still I don't know. I thought that was great actually. I think I, it was great, but we still don't, we, Kelly still won't say that she had a mental breakdown. <laughs> but right, but that's just like, she obviously did have a mental breakdown. Yeah. I know. Like, I thought that that was the great part is that you see that the show in so many ways, like destroyed her. Right. I mean, and a lot of people talked about how part of the reason filming is so difficult is because you get into these conflicts and then you have to rehash them again in the reunion. So the conflicts never, and then you have to start filming the new show exactly. a few months later. So it's, it's, you know, in that way. Sounds emotionally exhausting. Right. Exactly. It would be very hard to maintain those friendships because either you would have to like constantly like be like fully honest with people about things that you don't even know about yourself or things that like are so like passed by so quickly. Yeah. Right. Because it's, I, I don't know. It's like, it's that weird like surveillance eye. Really what the book also made me, it, it in a very um, productive way, it left the question of like, what are these shows actually searching for open? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like what we still don't really know what the shows are about. Like obviously they're about conflict and they're about women, but I think that there's something very um unknown about like what makes this type of conflict or like the formulaic way to make these relationships seem real and seem watchable. Because obviously not all like it has a lot to do with casting. Yeah, I mean I I don't I don't know that like they know to be honest. Like, I don't know that Bravo knows. Like, I think the way that Andy Cohen talks about housewives is he's endlessly surprised by it. Like he didn't want to do it at first. It changed his life. Right. Like he's always like, I don't, I never know what to expect. Like, I feel like they're just like riding the wave, you know, as far as they fucking can. Like, right. I also find it crazy that they're like some people who get kicked off the show who make them getting kicked off the show like their new life like uh with um Simon and Alex from yep. New York apparently they like really took and it and Dana their- Wilkie yeah and Dana Wilkie they took it so seriously that they like devoted themselves to blogs about like how their seasons were actually the best and like they shouldn't have been kicked off and how the shows suck now, which is just, I don't know, like that, I want a reality show about that, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's all the shit that happens offline or like when it's, when it's not filmed, that's what actually makes the shows almost so culturally relevant because they, you can tell that yeah. they like fully exist um, outside of, of their filmic qualities. Right. And I think like, just to like round out the conversation, like, you know, Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip has emerged, which is a very much a show about being a housewife and it's very behind the scenes. Um, but then there's also, there's a want, there's a want for housewives right now. Like Salt Lake City is bringing a new energy. Like Miami got um, rebooted, which is great. Um, OC is being kind of reshaken. Like they, they're kind of like 
they're not rebooting it, but they're like giving it like a major makeover. Like I brought Heather Dubrow and like, people are really mad about it. And Andy Cohen had this whole thing being like, it's a return to form. Like the housewives thing is like, it's really, it's trending. It's trending. <laughs> and the behind the scenes of reality is trending. Yeah. But also just like the trashiness of it is trending as well. Yeah. Like, but, but also at the same time, like, just like Kim Kardashian shows, like, you can actually be a very fabulous person and be on reality TV now. Yeah. Like, that's something that is, like, fully possible. Yeah. And, like, not everyone can do it. Like, it definitely takes a certain amount of finesse to do. But, like, even someone, like, with uh, Heather Dubrow, I think that she is someone who returned and now is, like, very fabulous. Like, there are all those memes about her house or whatever. <laughs> her house actually like- takes- I've no I've, I mean I've never seen that OC but like um I don't know I think that there's some people who can really toe that line well but I also think that and you know that's something that Andy Cohen said about Lisa Vanderpump he was like we found Lisa Vanderpump and she he was like as a gay man she was everything I always wanted a yeah. woman to be yeah you know and I think you're right about like the show like I think that the producers and the production I think that they're just like we want to watch these women like yeah. we're endlessly fascinated by these women as well mm-hmm. um it's not just like something that like they are producing for others like I think that it's really a product of like what do we want to see we see rich men at work right Mm -hmm. because we know rich men and rich men go out and rich men we we're a waitress we wait on them at their tables we know what they're like we sleep with them we we flirt with them we do whatever they're our dad's friends but I think that there's something that's always been very internal about the rich woman or there's always been something that's like very hidden right about a rich woman even Madame Bovary you know what I mean she um um she 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 kills herself right Mm -hmm. she goes to the pharmacist um and she secretly kills herself you know she makes herself up she um in her in her big beautiful bed she she kills herself um and I think that that is that's something that that is always, like the internal life of the housewife has always been something that can only be achieved through through literature and through poetry, right? And you even have someone like Emily Dickinson, who again was who was never married, but the the only what you know her her work was found in a in a cupboard, right. right? There is no external part of Dickinson. The only way we know about her about her internal world is through her her poetry. Yeah. You know, um, and even someone like, you know, you have William Wordsworth, but then you also have a sister, Dorothy, who whose book, you know, um, I forget. It's like Home at Grasmere. That's mm-hmm. her book about watching Wordsworth write the prelude. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that Housewives in a way is this almost like uh, like romantic quality. It's almost like in um, Eyes Wide Shut, you know, where it's like uh, Nicole Kidman her crime is the fantasy like her crime is the internal fantasy but then that generates an external fantasy of tom cruise because he actually goes out in the world and he searches for a young person to have sex with then he so he goes out and he finds like the elite whatever having sex with whoever um and it's mostly men but 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 nicole kidman it was all in her head she had the she had the fantasy of the young of the young sailor yeah yeah that's very yeah i love that yeah, I mean, I think it's, I don't, I don't think that, like, I've, we've said this before, but like watching middle-aged women live their lives is, you know, it's, it's pretty rare. It's, it's, it's not something that like is, is culturally, especially when these came out was very accepted at all, you know? Right. And also just like, even the idea of being a housewife is like, still not 
it's not like a super respected thing. And I think that people don't even call themselves housewives again, like what, like in, again, in the reboot uh, and just like that of Sex in the City, um, Charlotte is like, I'm a full-time mom. Right. Full-time is like the language of the workforce, right? Like the- Right. And I'm also on the board of the Met, you know, right. like it's, it's, it's actually, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like the prelude or it's like a unconscious wages for housework thing yeah. where people are like, or women are like, it's not respected to be a mother. So I'm going to, right. Again, use the language of the workforce. What does aging do to the housewife, right? Like what happens when you're a full-time mom and your kids get older? Like, right. Like that leaves so many women and then your husband divorces you. Like it leaves so many women kind of alone and grappling and the way they grapple is with each other, you know, and they, and they create lives, these internal lives that are, you know, made richer by the people around them and, and their friends and their go and the ladies who lunch and trips, you know? Right. And I'm even now I'm thinking of, of like Anna Karenina, right. Another brilliant novel in I mean about so many things but really about the internal lives of rich women right that's a book that is completely internal and again she um I guess she dies on train tracks but again it's a suicide and a lot of her craziness takes place in the in the home like I remember when her when her there's this great scene when her lover comes home and uh, she thinks that he's been cheating and she goes crazy and she's just running through the, the rooms in the, in like their, their lover's apartment, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's so many, there's so many instances again, right. Of the, of the internal lives of the rich woman. I think a lot because they don't really have anything else to, to do. No, but to live with themselves and be, you know, kind of self-obsessed is like the trope, right. Um, should we end? yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Signing off. All right. Signing off. Bye. Happy New Year. The countdown begins. The countdown begins.
forget to allow the men you've met to exemplify their very best behavior. When entering a room, greet everyone, and soon you'll be invited and entitled to the grandeur. Your company should feel when a conversation's real, even if the topic feels like science class. You can tell where someone's been without even asking him. He's either rude or has some style and panache. Money can't buy your class. Money can't buy your class. Elegance is learned, my friends. Elegance is learned. Oh, yeah. Life is all about elegance and flair and savoir-faire. You don't have to be rich or famous to be unforgettable. Ha-ha. <laughs> It's not about where you're from, it's about what you've learned. Money can't buy.